I believe this is uh, Sermon 12, I think, on Jesus plus nothing equals everything through the book of Galatians. Now, last week, didn't Pastor Michael do a phenomenal job talking about the value of restoration and loving each other, being humble, building one, building each other up in our faith? And uh, at first, he was going to do half of chapter 6, and he got working on it, and he said, I'm going to stop at verse 5 and hand off to you. So I'm thinking... I'm going to have to go 6 through 18, I think it is, today. And then I was looking at it real hard, and it's like there's no way I can do all that in one Sunday. So there's going to be one more Galatians sermon for you next week. And it, it actually, it fits great. And you'll be glad because it gets a little deeper today than I would have gone otherwise by doing two instead of one. If I would have done them both today, I would have had to skim through some of what I'm going to do. And I'm going to go fast anyway because there's a lot of material here. But... Next week, we're going to talk about the glory of the cross. That is the beginning of our mission's emphasis. There is no better place to go when you're talking about missions than the cross. God had one son. Think about it this way. He made him a missionary. He sent him away from his place of natural habitation to a place where he would not be welcomed or accepted. He died the death of a martyr, if you will, died for our sins so that we may become children of God. Missions is pretty important to the heart of God. So next week, we'll conclude Galatians, start missions. And next couple weeks after that, and a few weeks following that, we've got some great guests. Greg Mundus, who is the director of World Missions for the Assemblies of God, will be with us. I believe it's on the 18th. Uh, is that right, Michael? 18th? And on the 18th, we will have something very unique. That morning, he will be talking twice. Once during the Christian Living Hour, that will be in the chapel. We'll have it set up with as many chairs as we can get in there. You will want to hear everything he has to say. He's been involved in world missions for decades. He also was one of the first people uh, who uh, had the COVID virus way, way back in 2020, like in March when it first kicked off, he's got an incredible story of God's healing and restoration. Uh, he just, he, I could sit and list this guy for hours. You're going you're gonna to want to say, can you stay longer? Can you do more? You don't want to miss either one of those services when he's with us on the 18th. I think next, uh, the, in two weeks, I think that Gary Davidson will be with us about Oklahoma missions. He'll be here sometime in the month. We'll get it, make sure we get plugged up. But anyway, I'm glad you're here today. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6. Verses 7 through 10, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. What an incredible statement right there. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Paul reminds them that every choice has a consequence in this passage. I read one of the funniest stories this week about a family that they were they were going to observe Lent. That's the 40 days before, the, before Easter. It's a time when you give something up. Uh, people who don't take it seriously often give up broccoli or lima beans. 
And people who take it seriously, they give up TV or the internet or, wow, that would be tough. Or something like that. And the point you do it is so that that it helps you to remember what Christ gave up for us. It also helps you maybe to clear your head a little bit and get more focused on allowing God to speak to you. Well, anyway, this family, they were going to do that. And the mom and dad had three daughters. And they said to them, we've been looking toward this season of time. And we're going to all give up something to help us remember what Christ gave up for us. And the dad says, your mom and I, we're giving up desserts for the next 40 days. Three little girls. The oldest little girl says, I'll give up sweets also. Middle daughter says, I'll give up sweets too. The little girl, you can see if you look at her face, calculation going on inside. How can I do this and still not whatever she says, I've got it. I'm giving up consequences. (laughs) Oh, if it were only that easy, right? Only if we could do whatever and there were no consequences to pay. We could just eat all that we wanted and never worry about getting sick or fat. Just enjoy, indulge. If you could just eat all the sugar you wanted. Our, uh, Our granddaughter that lives near us, Thea, she loves sugar. She doesn't like it. She loves it. And so, you know, her parents are kind of always having to watch with her. Okay, that's enough sugar right now. And uh, you've had enough for the day and, and slow down. But isn't it amazing that we would like to live life without consequences, but we can't. Everything we do has a consequence. This is a law of life. This understanding has a significant impact on every decision we make. At least it should. We should think carefully about all the things that we do because even little things may have a lasting result. You know, some things as you get older that you think about when you didn't think about when you were younger, you wish you'd have thought about when you were younger. Things like diet, salt, and sugar, and all those kind of things. And you think it's just a little spoonful, it's just a couple of extra sprinkles, But when you do that day after day, year after year, what happens when you get older? It affects your health. Now, that's just a simple illustration, not even the most significant one, but it makes the point. The impact of this law will affect every aspect of your being, socially, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And by the way, one of my favorite verses is in Luke 2.52. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom, that's mentally, stature, that's physically, with God, that's spiritually, and with people, that's socially. Jesus, now if you ever think, I have already obtained all the wisdom that can be attained by one person, and I have no more capacity, Jesus increased in wisdom. Maybe there's some room for me and you. Every decision that we make will affect our life in numerous ways. I'm going to allow you to draw your own conclusions. I don't have the time to dive too far deep in that today. But this law will determine what your life is like and where your destiny lies. There's three things I want to share with you today that you need to know. Number one is this. Since school just started back, I threw in a word that you may not be familiar with, but you'll be able to... to, uh, Figure it out real quick, and I've got, I'll explain it to you anyway. But the law of the harvest is an inviolable law of God. That means it is incapable of being violated. It's a law that you cannot 
that you cannot change. Such is the law of gravity. There are laws that are inviolable. That means they cannot be violated. Now, this law is universal. It's impartial. It's predictable. And it's immutable. Let me tell you what I mean by that. From the, the world of agriculture, real simple. If you plant barley, this is an IQ test, by the way. I'm going to let you finish the statement. If you plant barley, you will harvest. Right. If you plant corn, you will harvest. If you plant tomatoes, I love tomatoes. That's just like a pastor talking to his congregation. If the Lord would lay on your heart extra tomatoes. I love tomatoes. We plant tomatoes at our house. Janet does. And uh, last year we did really pretty well with it. This year, nothing. 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 It was a horrible year. Horrible. I don't know if that's for everybody or not, but it didn't work out for us. So, so there, are, there are things about the harvest that also need to be worked out. It doesn't mean that you'll have a bumper crop every time. Doesn't mean that you'll have, and there are some things that we do to shape that. I'll talk about in just a second here. If you plant tomatoes, then you'll harvest. You don't expect to find grapes on a thorn bush, correct? You don't find peaches on a watermelon vine. That'd be kind of weird. You don't find watermelons in an apple tree. By the way, speaking of another law, the law of gravity, how many of you think Sir Isaac Newton was glad that watermelons don't grow on apple trees? That could have been kind of rough. This law of harvest, this law of, of, of agriculture is frequently stated in Scripture primarily because they were agricultural people. Genesis 8:22 God says as long as the earth remains there will be planting and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night. Job 4:8 says my experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. Psalm 126.5, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. Hosea 8.7, they have planted the wind and will harvest the whirlwind. And then just a couple of chapters later in Hosea 10, it says, plant the good seed of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your heart, for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Why do people ignore this law? Well, there's two basic reasons according to Scripture. Number one, they're deceived. Paul tells them, don't be deceived. Now, that tells me there is the possibility of being deceived about this. Something that is so logical, so apparent that even a, a four-year-old could have answered those questions with me a while ago. You plant barley, you harvest barley. You plant corn, you harvest corn. And yet somehow there is a deception that gets into people's hearts that thinks I can plant evil, but somehow harvest good. Paul says, what you plant is what you will harvest. It is an immutable law. It's irrevocable. It's a law that you can count on. It will never change. And when people think that they found the loophole or somehow it doesn't apply to them, they are living in a place of deception. Don't let others deceive you and don't deceive yourself. The second part of that phrase says you cannot mock the justice of God. 
the sad truth is one of the flaws that caused people to think that this law doesn't apply to them, they have developed contempt for God. They have placed themselves in a higher position than God. And that can be seen by the words that are given here. The words in the Greek mean to look down your nose at someone. Now, how many, I'm not trying to be too basic here, but just the reality of life. If I'm looking down my nose at you, that means I have positioned myself in a higher place than you are. Maybe not physically, but in my mind, that's what I'm saying. Anytime I look down my nose at anyone, I am saying they are the lesser person and I am the wiser. Doesn't that sound like a lot of the world today? When we talk about God and they act as if somehow they have become more enlightened, that they have a better revelation, that they have understanding that poor Christians who have no intelligence just somehow didn't comprehend. Looking down the nose, mocking God, but it happens even among Christians when we think that we can sin and get away with it. That's the negative side. Or the other side, just as bad, when we think that no one really cares what we're doing and God's not even paying attention. Because what you sow is what you will reap. What you plant is what you will harvest. Regardless of your personal opinion, you will harvest what you plant. Any other expectation is preposterous. As preposterous as a watermelon growing on an apple tree. Second thing I want you to understand this morning is this. The law of the harvest requires wisdom. Here's what Paul says. If you live only to satisfy your sinful nature, you will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. If my entire goal of life is how can I make myself happy, how do I please myself, what happens in return is I walk down a path of decay that leads to destruction. It gets worse and worse every day. You know, I, I think there's this maybe thought in, in life that some people have that the older you get, the more mellow you get, the better you get, the wiser you get, the, the, the kinder that you get. Here's what I've discovered in my life. The older you get, the more you become like you were when you were younger, but even more of it. So if you're mean in your 20s, you're probably going to be really mean in your 70s. That's what I've seen. If you're greedy, when you don't have very much, you'll be just as greedy when you have a lot. Even more so. Because when you didn't have anything, you didn't worry about who was going to steal nothing. But now that you got a bunch, they're all after me. They're going to steal my stuff. But you know what I've seen on the other side of the coin? When I walk down the path of being kind to people, you become the old guy that all the kids love. Because you're always smiling. You're always kind. See, if you didn't like kids when you were 20 or 30, they're not going to like you when you're 70. Are you tracking with me? You're sowing seeds today that bring a harvest tomorrow. And what you do today determines where you'll wind up tomorrow. If you sow to satisfy your sinful nature, it will bring decay and death. John Stott wrote this in his commentary on Galatians. I put the whole thing. I rarely ever give you this big of a quote, but it's so good. I want you to hear it. He says, to sow to the flesh is to pander to it, to coerce, cuddle, and stroke it instead of 
crucifying it. The seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain impure fantasy, and wallow in self-pity, we're sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist. By the way, one of the favorite verses out of Corinthians that youth pastors use all the time, but it doesn't stop when you turn 20. It says, bad company corrupts good morals. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. It's pretty powerful. Some Christians, he goes on to say, sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. Flip side of the coin says, if you live to please the Spirit, you will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Every Christian from Galatians 5 should walk by the Spirit. From Galatians 5, every Christian should be led by the Spirit. From Ephesians 5, every Christian should be filled with the Spirit. It's impossible to please God if your continual goal is to satisfy yourself, your sinful nature. Romans 8, 5 through 8. Listen to these words. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still in control of their sinful nature can never please God. We have to have wisdom, understanding this law. And one aspect of that is knowing this, that, that what we harvest is determined by what we plant, can you imagine how crazy it would be if your neighbor planted a, a tree in their yard and, and you went over, you're looking at it, and you go, what, what kind of tree is that there? What do you have? And they said, well, it's, a, it, it's an oak tree, but I'm hoping to grow peaches on it. We got a basic uh, flaw in comprehension and understanding here. You can wish that all day long. You can even plan for it and hope for it, pray for it. But if you plant the oak tree, you're, you're not getting peaches, you're getting acorns. If you want to have the right harvest, you've got to plant the right seed. That's when the key happens. It's at the planting, not praying for the harvest after you've already planted the wrong thing. We had farmers in our church, a lot of farmers in our church back in West Memphis. And it was just fun being around those people. They had big farms, thousands of acres, some of them. And uh, they would come in one Sunday and be like, oh, pastor, pr pray for rain. We've got to have rain this week. If we don't get rain, we're going to lose crops. We've got to have rain. Sure enough, it would rain that week. They'd come in the next Sunday. Oh, pastor, pray that it dries up. It's so muddy out there. I'm like, I don't know how God can even help you people. You don't even know what you want. But I can tell you this, 
Never one time did I have somebody come to me before the harvest and say, pray that our harvest will turn into a good crop. We're not sure what it's going to be. Maybe it'll be corn, maybe soybeans, but just pray. It'll be, wait, what? You've already planted the seed. I can't fix what the harvest is going to be now. You've already determined that by your choices weeks ago, months ago, years ago. Now, thank God he does give chance for a do-over. But you can't change what's already been done. And if you're sowing bad seed, don't be surprised when your harvest doesn't turn out like you wanted it to. I was really hoping for a really good crop. Well, you never plowed the ground. You never planted seed. And when you did, you just grabbed up a handful of something and threw it out there and hoped it would be okay. Here's what I know about the farmers where I used to live. They would want to make sure they had the right kind of seed. They just didn't plant corn. I mean, it was all these words of hybrid this and blue that and whatever, something other corn. And I'm like, it's just corn to me. Oh, no, no. You got to have this kind of seed. This is the one you got to plant. This will make the best crop. If you're going to have the best crop, you have to recognize that your harvest is determined by the nature of your seed, the quality of your seed, and the quantity of your seed. We've already talked about nature a lot. You plant corn to get corn. Quality. You plant the best that you can. You know, some people... They make efforts in certain endeavors, whatever it is. This, can, this, this applies to everything. They make efforts, but they're minimal. They don't really try that hard. They just try a little bit, and then they get mad when somebody else does better than them. Maybe they're a salesman, and they're like, you know, I, I, only, sold, I only sold this many product this month, but this guy over here, he sold four times than me. Okay, I don't know anything about what's going on here, but I, I've got a pretty clear idea of this, the guy that sold four times as much probably made four times as many calls. Are you tracking with me? Well, I'm just going to pray. Okay, that's always a good point, but prayer is never a replacement for us doing what we can do. We pray for God to bless our labors, and we pray for God to do what we're not able to do. But we're partners with God. We do what we can to the best of our ability. I'm praying to have a great marriage. Awesome. That's a great prayer, but what are you doing about it? Well, you know, I don't ever do anything really to help, and I'm pretty demanding. But I'm praying we'll have a good marriage. I'm not, bet, I'm not betting on you. Because you're sowing seeds that produce a bad harvest, and then you're asking God to bless the crop Somebody help me out with an amen right now. They're going, they're going to think you're guilty if you don't. The nature of your seed, of your harvest, is determined by the nature, quality, and quantity of your seed. So what should we do? We should sow the right seed. We should sow the best quality of the seed that we should have. And we should sow it generously, not sparingly. Plant seeds in the right field. 
speaking of it from a spiritual perspective, the main aspect of this today, what is that? That is planting seed in the field of righteousness, doing right things, doing good things, doing things that please God, learning to, to, to do, and, and you guys do this. I'm glad I can preach this sermon without feeling like everybody's going to think I just beat up on them today. You do this. I hope you know that you do this. But if you do it now, do it more later. Grow, grow, grow in God, stronger, more. That should be the thing we're trying to do all the time. As a church, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get missionaries all around the world. We're trying to equip missionaries with with the things they need to do the work of God. And we're not going to be happy until we've done all that we can do. They give us a chart and they say, here's where you ranked. Who cares? That, that, that's not significant how we compare to other people. What is significant is did we do what we can do? What are we doing to advance God's kingdom? Are we giving the right seed, the right place, the right quality, the right quantity? Second Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Have, have you any of you ever been with me like, like I am when I read a scripture like that? I, I, I read it and I go, boy, Paul must think we're really dumb to have to put that in print. And then I go, oh, wait, he's right. <laughs> we are kind of dumb sometimes. Well, you know, I don't know why it's not working out. Okay, back up and evaluate. You know what we like to do more than anything else? We like to blame somebody else. It's always the other person. I just want to know who that other person is. Let's get rid of that other person because it's always their fault. We like to blame the devil, and, and the devil is trying to create a lot of destruction, but I think sometimes he could take a break and let us do it to ourselves. He doesn't have to work too hard on some people. We need to have wisdom that we plant the right seed, the right place, that we so to the spirit, not to the flesh. Last thing, the law of the harvest requires determination and patience. The Christian life can cause weariness, and often we're tempted to quit if we lose sight of the big picture. Anybody ever been tired in ministry? It happens. Anybody ever just get tired of people? It happens. Life is filled with challenges, and we can become weary in our own nature if we're not careful, even to the point sometimes of wanting to quit. So what's the remedy? The remedy is, spent, is, is found in spending time with God. Isaiah 40, 31, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. That's vitality. They will run and not grow weary. That's energy. They will walk and not faint. That's stability. Isaiah says to us, when we, and the word trust there, it's, it's a good word, but it's not the full picture of the word. Um, the, the, the King James is those who wait on the Lord. That's a good word, not a full picture. The full picture of the Hebrew word there means to be woven together with as in a braid. Those who are woven together with God. How does that come? It comes by trusting God and waiting on God. It's not immediate. It takes time. But those who are knitted together with God, those who spend time with God, they'll find strength, vitality, energy, and stability. How many of you believe you need that if you're going to be good with the harvest? It comes from being knitted together with God. 
Something else you have to know about the determination and patience. There is a season between planting and harvesting. How many of you, when you were in school, probably somewhere like third grade, it seems like to me, did the thing where you take the little Dixie cup and some dirt and you put a bean in there and you come back every day waiting to see if it's grown? And I don't know how many days it takes. It's not many, but when you're like eight, it seems like it's four years. And you're like, I, grow, grow. You look at the thing, grow today. Come on, out, hop up out of there. Now, that's just one little simple example, but the reality is there is a season between planting and harvesting. So if you don't see the results you need immediately, what do you do? You keep planting. You keep working. You keep praying. You keep sowing. You keep doing the things that you need to do. John Brown was a Puritan saint, and he wrote this. Many Christians are like children. They would sow and reap the same day. There's a promise of a harvest if we remain steady. James 5, 7 and 8. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmer who patiently waits for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, So my dear brothers and sisters... Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever in vain. There's a time to plant. The last verse tells us about this, verse 10. And it must be observed if you desire a harvest. Now, when it tells us to do all the good that we can especially to those who are in the household of faith. It says, therefore, where we have the opportunity, that's the right word. Opportunity is a great word. It's the word kairos, used for time. But it means time in the sense of timing or the sense of opportunity. Chronos is the other word that means chronology. It's like when you ask what time is it, what day is it? That's one aspect of time. But there's a sense of timing when it comes to baseball and golf. And there's a sense of timing when it comes to planting. And there's a sense of timing with music and on and on and on. Doing it when it's just right. This says, when we have the opportunity, the kairos, when the moment comes, do good to everyone. That's one way we plant seed. By doing good. Representing God. There's an old quote, it has been um, suggested that maybe John Wesley said this, although it's never been verified completely. He said things like this, doesn't really matter who said it because it's great words. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the time you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Did you get the point? Continually be doing good. Continually plant seeds in the field of righteousness. Back in Galatians 5, Paul talked about what happens if our seed, we're planting seed, and we're planting in the field of 
sinful nature, human nature, human desire. And it produces the works of the flesh. Y'all remember that from a couple weeks ago? Like 15 things there. They're all pretty horrible. Killing and hating and all kind of bad stuff. But he says, but if you let the Spirit work in you, it will produce qualities that make your life good and successful. The one thing I want to make sure you hear today from me very clearly is this. I never want you to think that what I'm telling you is good effort is enough. Because the Bible says that your best effort is like a dirty, bloody rag. Useful for nothing except being thrown away. No matter how hard you try, how much good you do, that's not, that's not a, this is kind of the result of the beginning point of having faith in Christ. But if you have faith in Christ, live the transformed life. Live a life that's different. It should be happening fairly frequently to you. That somebody says, you're not like everybody else. I've noticed some different things about you. Can I just say, if you've never heard that, probably a good day to do an inventory. Am I sowing seed to the flesh? Or am I sowing seed to righteousness? You may think, well, I don't know if God will come through or not. I'd bet on him before I'd bet on you. Matter of fact, with him, it's not a bet. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. God will come through. He can be trusted. Don't let the delay of the harvest cause you to think that there's not going to be a harvest. Persevere. Overcome. Let me read that verse again. For in due time, for in due time, if you don't faint, if you don't quit, you will reap a harvest. Would you bow your heads with me today? And I'll be real candid with you. My goal every week is that everybody would get something to respond to out of a message. And I try to give three or four options here to help you decide and determine what God's speaking to your heart. Number one is this. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm planting seed in the wrong field. I'm cultivating the wrong attitudes, the wrong actions with my life. And today, I want God to help me to sow seeds in the field of righteousness, to do what I need to do so that he can bless what I'm doing and give me the harvest that he promises. If you're here today and you'd be honest and say, I'm, I'm sowing seed in the wrong field, it's an evaluation moment, and I need to make a big change today. Would you lift your hand all across the room right now? I want to pray for you. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Keep me on the right path, God. Thank you. Anyone else? Second question. How many would say right now, Pastor, I have a tendency to get weary. By the way, when Paul says that, that word, he changes from you to us, indicating he's part of the equation now too. I think those who lead church ministries are very susceptible to weariness. How many of you would say, Pastor, I need God to renew my strength as I draw near to Him? 
And I need for him to, to help me to have vitality. I need for him to give me strength, divine strength. I need for him to be with me. Would you raise your hand all across the room? I need God's help in my life. I need his strength. I need his power. Let me ask third and final question. And if the Holy Spirit gives something else to you in your heart, you act on that. I'm just doing three things here. There may be 20 things the Holy Spirit speaking to people right now. The third one is this. How many of you would say, I want to do a better job of planting seed in a righteous field so that I have an impact in my family, in my community, in my neighborhood, and I want God to help me to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life in abundance. I want a bountiful harvest of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Would you lift your hand all across the room? That's what I want. I want you to stand with me together right now. I'd like for our prayer team to come to the front. I I always try to maintain balance in this issue. There's nothing sacred or special about a place except what you make it to be and and that's very valuable and very good this is the house of God because we've determined to be that but you can come in here and not feel God there's no guarantee that happens there's no guarantee that coming to the front of place of prayer that you're going to experience God's power in any special way but you will if you desire it and God can touch you right where you're standing he can speak to your heart there But there is something that I've discovered from my perspective that is valuable and valid in responding when we feel the Holy Spirit speaking to us to affirm what God's doing. So right now, if you feel that God's given you some direction in your life today, whatever it is, through His Word, through His Spirit, I would invite you to come to the front. Let someone join with you in prayer. If you just want to pray on your own. You can stay at your seat right there. Lift your hands and worship to God as we sing this song of praise to Him. But if you want someone to pray with you, I would encourage you to respond quickly to what the Spirit is doing in your heart. Would you come right now as we begin to sing this song if you say, there's something God's speaking to me today and I want to grow in that capacity.